new tournament for the under-20s and what's the future competition look like for the regions? Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Here at length from United Rugby Championship Chief Executive Martin Anahi shortly about all the gripes, grumbles and growth for the competition. But first, a new tournament at under-20s level this summer, the under-20s Summer Series, where the Six Nations teams will be joined by South Africa and Georgia to play a tournament in Treviso. The eight teams will be split into two groups, with Wales joined by Scotland, Italy and Georgia. Then there'll be a playoff game to determine the final position. Wales Under-20s coach Byron Hayward spoke to Graham Gillespie. Byron, it's just been announced it's going to be an Under-20 Summer Series as a coach of Wales Under-20. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, very much so. About 10 weeks since we played our last game in the Six Nations against Italy. Obviously, results-wise, wasn't a good campaign for us. A number of different challenges and reasons for that, particularly you know, the lack of playing time for the players with COVID and the restrictions they were under going into that tournament. But um, no excuses this time around. Boys have played plenty of rugby. We've had a real good two weeks preparation physically. Boys have worked tremendously hard in the gym and on a fitness testing. And the group of players we have here are in a totally different place to where we were at the end of January. It'd be fair to say, uh, results-wise, the Six Nations wasn't as good as we were hoped. How important is this tournament for you and the players to maybe make it not so doom and gloom out there? Because it wasn't just the end of 20s, it was the men's, etc. The results, as you know, Wales is like one of these places. It's either way down there or way up, up there. So how important is it for the boys to come together and do really well this time around? Well, for me, if I had to use a word to say how important it is, it's critical for us to go out there, perform, get some results. Because, yeah, you're right, there's, you know, we haven't... Um, covered ourselves in glory I guess from a rugby point of view because we've all been struggling you know the regions the national team us, ourselves but you know I'm confident with the group of players we have and the preparation we've had more so in comparison to the Six Nations that we will be competitive wherever we play and that's regardless you know of the quality teams like England, Ireland and France I've got no fear of playing them with the preparation we had we have had and the players we have available to us so uh, the selection for the squad is still a week or so away. Will you be able to bring in players that weren't available for the Six Nations for, uh, for this tournament? Yeah, we have some players, obviously, now, particularly the boys playing regional rugby, premiership rugby in England, were available to us because seasons are finishing up. Premiership, and the last game is this Saturday, then they're going to playoffs if they involve that. But um, I think the players we have will be available to us from the week following which is great for news for us because they're such quality, high-level players and already had so much experience at senior-level rugby and they only add a massive amount of value to the group. You've got to be excited with that prospect, don't you? Yeah, certainly. We're all in sport to win and be competitive and it's exciting because I think it's not just what the value they add themselves being in this group, it's the value they add to the boys, it's maybe playing at a lower level and the standards they drive within this environment. Um, so that is really exciting because you know we've obviously been a couple of boys we got coming in have played at a very very high level for their age group, and they will add a massive amount to this the old environment here. How do you look at this tournament head? Because obviously you've got Scotland and Italy who you know well, but a new opponent in Georgia that, that's got to be exciting, refreshing, doesn't it, for you and the players? Yeah, it's great. You know, you got South Africa on the other side of the group and. Georgia and non-quantity, we, we were clue, you know, what, what they like, but um, and that, but that's what, if 
very similar to going to a World Cup. When you play the Southern Hemisphere teams, it's a whole new experience for these boys who have missed out for three years now. And other than that experience of playing teams out the side of Six Nations, tournaments in Italy, all right, some of them may have been there before, but it's being away from home is for just over three weeks. There's a different challenges, experiences. We've got the heat to contend with as well. It's going to be very hot there. Uh, there's a lot of different challenges, which is massive for these boys' development. Yeah, it's something really we're all look, we're all looking forward to it. And uh, you mentioned quite often uh, like the talent in the back line, players like Cameron Winnett. He didn't really get a chance to shine in the, the Six Nations, but these hard, fast grounds in the summit that has got his name written all over, hasn't it? Yeah, Cam, yeah, he's very prominent for us in our warm-up games, but unfortunately, you know, we didn't give him enough opportunities for a number of reasons, for boys in our back positions and show what they could do. There was glimpses against Scotland, there were glimpses in other games, but there wasn't enough. Um, but Cam, yeah, he's definitely, he's, he's one of the boys who worked very, very hard, high-level scores and fitness testing. It'll suit him down the ground up there, fast grounds, fast track. And the way we'd be looking to play as well, it should suit Karma. And you know, like Larry Houston, been going well for Swansea. We got Mason, you know, at 13, and Brian, Joe Hawkins, you know, them boys. They can, I'm confident they can tear anyone apart. You know, you're going to smile on your face. Yeah, <laughs> it is really exciting. Looking forward to working with them and seeing them go against, you know, boys in their own age group. And very promising. How important is it that this is actually going ahead for these guys? Yeah, it's it's great for these guys because the pinnacle of a 19-year-old boy or a 20-year-old boy who can go and say actually for the rest of his life regardless of what he does in the sport or what he doesn't do and I've actually played in a World Cup you know and travel away for four weeks and been part of a group it's the social interactions and that type of bonding and friendships you build and relationships they last a lifetime those things like they remember in our 30 years from now I remember when I was in age grade you know 30 years yeah. ago and they do, they last a lifetime, those bond and, and those experiences. It's not just the on-field, it's the off-field as well. But in terms of the, you know, the development, it is um, playing against different opposition. You know, for instance, we could play England on a wet night in February and it'll be very attritional, forward-orientated. And we'll go out to Italy and we could end up playing South Africa or any of them other teams there. We're going to play a totally different game. So in terms of their rugby development... Covering all bases, really, and experiencing every kind of game you're likely to come against in the future. You keep hearing that there's no pathway for the players, you know, moving ahead once they leave the 20s. But I just think back a couple of years in Argentina, where you were, had the likes of Jack Morgan, Tommy Riffle, Ryan Combier, Sam Costello gone on to play for the Scarlets, Tian, Thomas Wheeler, the Ospreys. I mean, that's just five or six players there who've gone on for their regions and for Wales. So. Well, there's a couple more, actually. You've got yeah. Rio Dyer, yeah. you know, and Iron Owen. Yeah. You know, he'd probably look a bit deeper. There's a few more. He's Jack. Morgan uh, Jones. Yeah. Jack in Scarlet, second yeah. row. Uh, yeah. Kemsley. Do we like his captain? That's right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that was just something that's working. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. I think the pandemic obviously put a massive halt on the pathway and we all starting back up again, yeah. starting from... December basically which then you chuck straight into a Six Nations tournament yeah. it's educating the people as well I think that the restrictions that we had like Ireland had played three A games the 20 side prior to Christmas England under 20s played 16 games last year our boys weren't playing rugby and at that age playing rugby is absolutely crucial to your development because there's only so much you can you know learn in the classroom and on the training field mm. experience is the best teacher for any of us so, yeah, it's great to, to have these boys getting back into um, that opportunity to play a summer series, and that was fantastic. Um, really
listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Now on to the Chief Executive of the United Rugby Championship, Martin Anahi. He spoke to the Welsh and Irish press about a wide range of topics to do with the event, from COVID to kickoff times, starting with some encouraging TV viewing figures this season. Part of our media strategy for this TV cycle, which is a four-year TV cycle, was to sort of move towards being more free-to-air in our domestic markets in the UK, Ireland, and, and indeed Italy. I'm just really pleased actually we've been able to break through the sort of 13.3 million viewers uh, over 12 rounds. So we've surpassed the total amount of viewers from last season already. And, and obviously going into the final rounds, we'll push that even higher. I think validation that part and parcel of this, I guess, brave new world with United Rugby Championship was a rebrand, was to bring in the four big South African teams, new competition structure, which we, we think is going pretty well. But focal to everything was to try and get it to out to as many people and to communicate to as many people as possible. And we're really, really pleased that the, uh, that the broadcast figures are coming through. So really happy that those free-to-air broadcasters, Nati and TG4 in Ireland, BBC, S4C in the UK, sitting alongside really, really key partner for us in the UK and Ireland in Premier Sport is working so well. So something to build on and a lot more to come in terms of innovation and product innovation, but very happy with those results. Relaunching uh, a tournament or really trying to go for something brave and bold with United Rugby Championship. We had a great start to the season. We launched and then, you know, we were out in South Africa when the Omicron variant was detected. It was a tough couple of months, really, really difficult. But I think the spirit that the team we've got at URC, the collective spirit with the teams in the tournament and all our stakeholders, which includes the fans, um, but also our unions, to get through that period and to have rescheduled all 25 of those games without losing one has been really pleasing. And you know, I think now we're getting to the point of the season where it's all to play for. And the format that we put together, the teams that we brought in are really stepping up. Can't wait genuinely for the next few rounds. And I really think URC has got off to a good start. One of the big things you introduced for this season was trying to move fixtures away from international weekends. Yeah. Now, obviously, that's been scuppered to a certain extent by COVID. But if I look at it, this season just gone, you still did have the issues where like South African teams are coming up here in the autumn without their star players because of the rugby championship. And then for various reasons, you had um, European sides going to South Africa with second strings, which is kind of what you wanted to get away from. So is there anything more you can do next season to avoid those scenarios? Yeah, good question. And as you say, this season has been another COVID year, really, because even when we started the season with a group of games with the four South African teams doing their tour of Europe, that won't happen next season. That's not the structure. That's not the format that everybody wants to see deployed. We'll do two and two, two at home in South Africa, two in Europe any given weekend. That's really the format that everybody agreed to. And we went through this huge process of 18 months worth of talking to as many stakeholders as possible to get that format agreed. So I think we will see a better spread of games. I think that's a really important thing. We will not be playing across international weekends in the same way as we have this year. And that's because of those 25 games needing to be rescheduled. We've had to unfortunately put them into the Six Nations. It's been an important and necessary outlet for getting those games played. 
but going into next season, we want to see the format as it should be. As you say, that really is not playing cross international match weekend. You make a very good point around the rugby championship, and that's something we're in dialogue not only with the rugby championship, with Sanzar, which obviously South African Rugby Union, who's a key member of that, but also World Rugby, because there's a, a key point in all this, which is the global season. And the alignment of those windows needs to be improved from our perspective to see those Springbok players available in the first rounds of our competition going forward. We think that's achievable. We think there's a good conversation happening around aligning those windows better so that it won't have an effect on the start of our season. And then for all of us, it's about conversations with our unions about when players are released from camps and to what extent they're released from camps. And that's the bit that we're focusing on uh, at the moment because there's a bit of a disparity between what happens in England, for example, with the RFU and what happens with our unions. So getting some continuity and consistency across our unions will be important for that sporting integrity point that you make there. So I think we're, we're off to a good start. I think the format is solid in that it doesn't play on international weekends, but some of those sort of more macro level pieces we need to try and ensure falls our way over the coming years in fact for world rugby to try and make sure that that rugby championship window is better aligned from our perspective whenever i say i'm speaking to anybody from the urc or pro 14 as was what i always get from fans is kickoff times yeah asking about kickoff times in particular i guess in wales this season the number of 735 Saturday kickoffs have been an issue. It yeah. can be a challenging time. Now, I appreciate, and I think everyone appreciates how important TV income is. Is there anything you can do to kind of address issues fans do raise about kickoff times? Yeah, it's probably the key talking point that I had with the Welsh region CEOs and, and chairs. Went down to Swansea to meet them. And it was one of the key issues we want to try and, and address so where this stems from is actually because we've got free-to-air broadcast, you know, as always, there's a trade-off and we're trying to make sure that we try and manoeuvre this as best as possible. But the trade-off is this, where you've got a free-to-air broadcaster, and that's not just in Wales, but where there's a free-to-air broadcaster in Northern Ireland and also in Ireland, they have very fixed times as to when they can put live rugby on. And that tends to then dictate those kickoff times being Saturday evening or Friday evening, because that tends to be when those broadcasters can show the games. So it isn't the pay broadcaster that's really, inverted commas, the issue. It, it's actually getting into the free-to-air slots. So part and parcel of, of that discussion around moving back to more free-to-air and all the benefits that that brings is, if you like, less flexibility on the kickoff times. Having said that, we've talked to all of our broadcasters, including S4C, as you know, in Wales, and RT and TG4 in Ireland, and said, look, actually, if we just move around some of these slots, and if we tell you early enough, because a big part of it is getting the fixture list and out there early enough, then they can schedule it earlier. And if we can schedule it earlier, then we can start to get into slots that work better from an attendance point of view. Because in the end of the day, that's what this is all about. It's putting more bums on seats and getting more people to watch it on TV. So yes, agreed. Kickoff times do need to improve, um, certainly in Wales, but also in Scotland. We listened to some of the feedback that Edinburgh and Glasgow had for us, which was they didn't want to play all of their games on Saturday uh, evening. You know, So we brought some of those into Friday. Uh, and that's a continuous dialogue with our clubs uh, and to try and make sure that we get that best balance of full attendance 
but also as many people watching on TV as possible. When the cheeses and the Southern Kings came in originally, there was a form of participation fee paid by South African Rugby Union. Obviously, you now it's it, it's doubled in terms of the numbers. Are you able to tell us, I mean, is this still a participation fee paid and what it is, or is the income you get from South African rugby through them being involved via another source? How, how does it stack up financially? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is materially higher than it was. And we have contracts with Supersport and sponsors in South Africa. So it's slightly different to what it was before. Before it was very much a sort of guarantee from the union. Now we have sort of back-to-back contracts and it's materially higher. You know, we didn't do it for the money. We did it because we thought that the four teams we were coming in will add to the competition. They will become part of the competition. They're not just participating in it. They are an integral part of it. And I think we're seeing that now with Stormers second in the table and, and very much part of it, Sharks, Bulls. So yes, I think it's not just about the money. That obviously has increased considerably. It's more about the quality of the teams that come with it. When, like, let's say the Irish Shield, the Welsh Shield, the South African Shield, when they were spoken about at the start of the season that they were coming in, a lot of people kind of, I think, got excited at thinking that the idea of maybe like the Interpro Cup for on the Irish side would come back, um, that this was going to be a real competition that teams would be really gunning for, like, and, and you know, an extra kind of cup that teams could win. But then the way it's worked out, it's kind of just overall league position ends up winning you that shield as well. Like, I, I kind of think there was maybe a bit of a missed opportunity there to have a little mini competition where you're pitting the kind of national sides against each other. And it's just those results that count in it. Was that discussed at all? I wonder. And could that actually be brought in in the future? We definitely raised that at the time through this process that we undertook around changing the format. And we went through all of our clubs, we went through our unions, we, we talked to as many people as possible. It literally took 18 months to go through. And it was felt actually from a sporting integrity point of view, they didn't want the points to be separate from the Shields. They didn't want a separate league table for Wales, for example. And that was because the Shields are actually a mechanism, certainly for the next two years, next year and the year after. There'll be a review after that that they're a um, qualification route into the Champions Cup. So I think as a result of that, uh, it was felt actually to keep it from a sporting integrity point of view as simple as possible, if you like, that uh, it should be the table, it should be the points from the, the overall league table. So it was considered and for that reason, the other route was favoured. I suppose the big thing, I suppose, and we're seeing it now with the women's Six Nations has come up, like there's the desperate need for like a, a women's club competition. And, f- you know, for the game to improve, you kind of need regular games from different countries playing against each other. Would there be hopes in the future? And could you guys be involved in it? Or is it a completely separate thing to have like a women's version of a URC as well? Yeah, I was speaking to um, to stakeholders about that. We have just over half of our employee bases are women. Uh, we had a, a strategy day the other day and we asked everybody, you know, what are the top three things you want to see the URC do over the next five years? And, and women's competition came in the top three of everybody, in fact. So I think it's a real push. I, I don't think it's necessarily reacting to the market or anything like that. I think it's, it just feels like we should have a women's competition. So I've done a lot of work recently just asking all of our clubs and our unions, where is everybody? Because obviously we don't pay central contracts at URC we we're a we're a tournament organizer and 
promote and market games, but we don't pay the players. So what's really important here is what are our unions doing at the moment and how can we help generate a better professional environment like they are doing in England with the Allianz Premier 15s? We're talking to World Rugby about that also because they've got their own you know, women's 15 competition. We're also talking to Ben Morrell and his team at Six Nations because they've got, as you know, you know, the women's Six Nations is really, really developing and we, we love that. And I, we think, and again, this is pretty widely held, I think now, we think that the URC can be a key part of how the women's Six Nations can get even bigger and stronger. So we're just trying to work out how we bring that about. And does it need to be 16 teams? Probably not. Um, if you look at women's super rugby, it's not all teams. If you look at women's NRL, it's not all teams. Should we get it going sooner rather than later? Yes, I think we should because you know I think the women's game deserves that. We do have women's teams operating in Ireland, for example. It's a little bit hit and miss elsewhere, but I think we can pull together a, a really great competition that needs to be in conjunction with what the unions would like to achieve and what the clubs would like to achieve because it's going to take their funding to help it come into fruition. So there's definitely a will. We'd love to see a women's URC and we're just exploring how does that come about now. You've talked a lot about television there. Are we in a situation really where the, you're almost getting to this post-attendance fan base of people who watch your competition on TV follow it on social media, are as interested in it as they can be. But the one thing they're not interested in doing is actually attending games because attendance is, I know we've had COVID, so maybe this season's a bit of an odd one, but attendances are levelling out a bit, or if not dropping, from what I'm seeing. Yeah, um, our numbers would suggest that, uh, yeah, obviously we're in COVID this year and in South Africa, we've only just allowed 50% back into stadiums, you know, up from 2,000 total which is how hard we all need to work to bring people back into games post-COVID. And how hard they work in, in South Africa is, is testament to the fact that they've invested in a, a water slide park on one end of the field and they've got a beach bar on the other end of the field and, and they put a concert on after the game. That's how hard we all have to work now to make the event experience, the fan experience of going to a game worth it for a fan, not just because money is tight, but because the TV product is so good. I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of post-COVID, a bit of, I think it's changed. People's expectations of um, what's required of going to a game might be slightly higher and certainly they've got less money to spend. So you really need to work harder to bring people into the ground. And that's a mix between having good competitive, lower price tickets available for those to come in. And then on the other side of the coin, the engagement and the fan activities that people now want to to have to to convince them to not watch it on TV. Having said that, you know, Cardiff had over 10,000 to their grounds. It's also around kickoff time. So we've got a job to do to make sure that we've got that balance better, get the right kickoff times, get a good fan experience. We're doing exercise at the moment, actually, and trialling it in Wales, where we've got mystery shoppers. So we're doing a mystery shopper exercise and we've got this company running reports and then they provide scores back to the clubs to see how you can improve all the touch points so that fans have a better experience. It's things like that that we need to do to work harder to bring fans back into the ground. Are you happy with the way the situation is going to work out in Europe where the team that finishes eighth is going to be squeezed out to bring in a, a side from Wales? And 
What do you think is going to happen in the Challenge Cup in Europe in terms of the other sides? Yeah, so probably the easier those two questions, the Challenge Cup. So all of the sides that don't qualify for the Champions Cup will be in the Challenge Cup next season. So we're still waiting and seeing the total number of clubs in the Challenge Cup for next year. But everybody who doesn't qualify from URC into the Champions Cup will be in the Challenge Cup, certainly for next season. In terms of that point you make around team in eighth might be squeezed out because of the Shields point, you're right. I mean, that's something that we all entered into knowing that you might get these sort of discrepancies from a sporting integrity point of view, which is why we put the two-year review in. So we said after two years, if this is the case, and we've got a million and one data points that we collect around it, but if we get into this situation twice and we go into that review, I think what's highly likely, because it needs to be unanimous, whatever decision after that, it's highly likely that we would then revert back to it being a straight jeopardy, if you like, a straight top eight goes through, regardless of where you're from. The reason why it was done that way is it was really in conjunction with EPCR it was to say, actually, with the South African teams coming in and looking at it sort of in the round, how do you make sure that you make the Champions Cup as broad a church as possible with as broad amount of teams from different locations as possible? And it was felt that that mechanism gave us a broader reach and a broader distribution of teams. So, And it was felt, and I think I'm you know, not the only one that believes this, but I think that is, in effect, true. I, I do want to see a Welsh team in the Champions Cup. I do want to see a Scottish team in the Champions Cup. Have we got it exactly right? I think that's why the review is there in a year's time. You mentioned the introduction of the South African sides, which I think everybody's in agreement. Uh, start of the season, there was a buzz, there was a freshness. Omicron, which you've spoken about, happened end of November, December. I just wondered from your perspective, how much of a dent, I suppose, has that had on this season has it been damaging you would have taken a fair amount of stick i'm sure just in terms of ever since those weeks and months um, you've been playing catch up ever since yeah it was damaging i think it, it was damaging being out in south africa knowing how hurt they were because i think it was it was the first time we were going to see them in the urc on a home patch and we had to then wait until march for that to then really come to fruition. And I, and I think for those of you like me, you know, URC this season kicked off in March because we really got to see those teams with their Springbok players playing against the Northern Hemisphere teams for the first time in, in their own backyards and what great backyards they are. So it's a shame that that didn't happen in November, December. It really is. And, but we bounced back and you know, we just, one thing we've learned over the last two and a half years is just got to be very resilient and you got to keep bouncing back we took a huge hit cost-wise on the year we'll still be more profitable this year than we were last year and when i say profit that goes back to the clubs so it's important that's a distribution back to the clubs that's more this year than it was last year even in spite of that experience i'm really pleased with the way that the teams who were down there with me actually i was down there with two other of our leadership team at the same time as them and got caught in the same quarantine issues as, as they did. I didn't get caught out there, but I caught, caught coming back into Ireland. And why it was important that I went back down with them, with those four teams to South Africa. And I think it was a very cathartic experience in a sense that we sort of realised when we got back out there, everyone had a great time. And whilst it's not forgotten, 
it certainly was put behind us and we got to move on. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to a season that doesn't have COVID affect it. But we're now in the point where we just roll with the punches when it does come our way and try and be as resilient as possible. And we'll hear more from Martin next week on the future of the United Rugby Championship, such subjects as how it can develop the next generation of star players. So listen out for that. But until then, from the Welsh Rugby Union podcast, goodbye.